Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Renee Wynn, the NASA Chief Information Officer. Renee, welcome to the program. Thank you. And my guest also is Tony Scott, the CEO of the Tony Scott Group and former federal CIO. Tony, great to have you back on. It's great to talk to you today. We're, we're talking today because coming up in October is the ACT-IAC Executive Leadership Conference. Imagination Nation is the theme this year. And part of what we're going to talk about is that conference, but really the themes and the goals of it. So let me just jump off. Let me start with Tony, since you're one of the people who are leading the effort this year. Maybe talk a little bit about what people should expect about from ELC in 2018 and maybe some themes and focus areas. So I think it's a, uh, a reinvented, if you will, conference. You probably know for many years it was held down in Williamsburg, and uh, frankly, we just ran out of space down there. And uh, this year, it's going to be in Philadelphia. It's October 14th through 17th. The theme of the conference is Imagination Nation, uh, Imagination, more properly said. And the purpose of the conference is to educate, to lead, and to collaborate. And we're going to have an all-star lineup of speakers and uh, conference sessions, and the new venue really gives us an opportunity to do some things that, in a new way that uh, we're always a part of uh, ELC, but uh, logistically a little harder to do. So right in the center of the uh, show this year will be the Techno uh, Showcase, which will have a bunch of really interesting technology for our participants to to look at and engage with uh, the technology partners and uh, a bunch of great tracks. Um, you can get 20 uh, learning credits uh, if you come to the conference. So it's uh, it's uh, I think just going to be a spectacular event on top of what were you know a very meaningful conference in years past, but now over the top in terms of what we've been able to do with it. Let's look at the techno showcase for a second and maybe look at some of the technologies that are going to be there. I, I can, I'm only going to guess, Tony, but AI, machine learning maybe, robotics process automation? Yep, all part of that. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a world-class group of technology vendors who support uh, all the different federal missions. So, um, you know, I think whatever you're interested in, you're going to find there, but certainly those themes are among the most prominent uh, that you'll see there this year. And you'll hear case studies of uh, good work that's already going on in the government in in those uh, in many of those areas. Hey, hey, Jason, this is Renee. I'd like to add on your recent question about featuring technology. There's going to be a session on how drones are used for emergency response. And that is an incredibly timely topic as we recover from the uh, Hurricane Florence in North Carolina and South Carolina. We've all seen the devastation that has been reaped by this hurricane and the use of drones and how that's helping both in recovery as well as in the response part. And that is actually going to be a panel on October 15th. So in our discussion about advances in technology, AI, uh, robotics and that, we're going to actually see it in use. So it's intended, as the themes of the conference are, educate, lead, collaborate. It will really be a springboard by showing how things are being used, and they'll spring off to create 
future collaborations, allow some agencies with their partners in the private sector to even lead and advance in areas to bring new technology to government. Renee, I think you bring up a great point in the fact that these are not just ethereal, hey, if you use my technology or if you use this type of technology, this is what you can do, but here's use cases. So maybe talk about, since you are the audience in many regards, what do you hope to, to kind of get from the conference as well from, a, from both a leadership perspective but also a, a NASA CIO perspective? I'm going to start with why I like the ACT-I Act. It is precisely to your point that it is a place where you see innovation actually happen. It's occasionally that a CIO gets to talk to individuals about the great things that they can make happen, but at the ACT, I Act, and at this Imagination Nation, ELC 2018, it is very much intentional about how things are being used and the learning that happened. There, there's all sorts of mistakes that create opportunities for learning, and that's going to be at the front and center of the panels. For me, as I go into this, there are a couple of things I'm going to have my eye on. One is artificial intelligence and the software robotics for processing. We have already started to use the software processing here at NASA, and I want to grow that business so that we can have humans in the loop on those transactions that have the robotics do the transactions that are repetitive, and then the humans come in in the morning and they do those things that really bring energy to their day-to-day -day lives in, in space exploration as well as in aeronautics. And so that's one area where I'm going to focus. I'm going to take a look at the techno showcase and see what new technologies, the actual devices that might come along, both for what could happen here at NASA or what I need to bring, and frankly, sometimes for my personal life, try to make that a little bit easier and more secure as well, given the whole Internet of Things explosion in our own personal lives. So those are two places that I will be focused on, in addition to just meeting some of the folks around the federal sector as well as the private sector and getting to know what they are and, and learn from their enthusiasm and, and serving the government. Renee, you bring up robotics process automation. It's something, something that the NASA Shared Services Center is doing a lot of, really being out in front of. Where do you see that opportunity within NASA for potentially other opportunities for RPA? My thoughts on this one, and I need some collaboration across the agency in order to make this come true, is, is in our financial world with the financial transactions, every federal agency has numerous financial transactions from the taxi voucher to our travel voucher, you know, all the way up through and to when we prepare to do our end-of-year statements as well. So there's a series of both complicated but but repeatable processes down to the more simplified repeatable processes. So besides the financial world, I'm only thinking about, so nothing promised here, is how then can I take a look at help desk tickets and how can we process those to, again, support our technicians in the field working directly with the clients across NASA to enrich the experience and move faster at repairing some of those pesky computer problems that we all get just after Patch Tuesday. Tony, talk maybe a little bit about your experience, and, and you've been to these conferences before. Maybe look at it from both viewpoints. You, when you had the federal CIO hat, but now as a uh, someone who is in industry, what do you look for in these conferences? What do you hope to, to pull from them? The themes of the conference they speak to that subject, it's educate, lead, and collaborate. And the collaborate is probably the most important. 
you know, only by industry and government sort of working together to address the challenges of modernization, of creating, you know, better customer experience, of improving cybersecurity. You know, that's all, you know, shoulder-to-shoulder work that has to be done. And, and it's, you know, by knowledge sharing and, and working as partners together, that's how that work gets done in the sessions at the conference on each of those important topics. And as Renee pointed out and, and you were talking about, it's not just what the technology is but or the process that was used or the solution that was implemented. It's how did we do it and, and what were the outcomes and what were the lessons learned. And that's the valuable information that comes from a conference like this. You can read a lot of articles and you can read a lot of fancy, you know, marketing material and so on, but until you get down to implementation, uh, it, it's hard to learn what really works and, and, and kind of what's marketing uh, material. And there's a difference between the two, obviously. One of the things that ACT-IAC really promotes and, and really is focused on, whether it's at ELC or really any of their uh, local events that, that happen in the D.C. area, is this idea of industry and government collaboration. And, and as you guys have both said that there's a theme here, there's a sharing going on. Talk maybe a little bit about what's difficult today or why is industry and government collaboration, generally speaking, been more difficult over the years? And is it getting easier today? I, I don't know if, Renee, you want to jump in on that one? I would say there are two pieces to the collaboration as a federal employee that you have to think about. And the context for my information is we are in positions of public trust. And trust is a really hard thing to gain and keep. And so my two points are first as one, your mindset and educate yourself. And I'm gonna begin first with the education. I work very closely with the Office of General Counsel here at NASA to make sure I understand where the tripwires might be from an ethics perspective. I am in a position to make a number of procurement decisions and I, I always want those to be clean and of the highest integrity in term for NASA and for the public because that's our money is taxpayer money. The second thing is a mindset. If you get yourself educated on where the tripwires are, then your mindset can be open to what is possible for that engagement and then sit down and have really good conversations about the art of what's possible. And an example of what is the art of what's possible is what ACT IAC does is create these playbooks and so you build off those conversations and create playbooks so that what one collaborative environment created between public and private can be shared and expanded on for others. And those are very safe places for us to go for the benefit of the public, uh, for public trust, as well as advancing the customer experience inside of NASA, which is what Tony just spoke about. And, and Jason, let me weigh in here. Collaboration can take many forms. It could be agency-to-agency collaboration. It could be supplier-to-supplier collaboration. And it can be government-to-supplier you know, uh, collaboration and not conspiracy or collusion, you know, a popular word today. And so, you know, there's the legal way to do it, and then, you know, there's obviously the potential for illegal stuff. And I think folks like Renee 
you know, pay close attention to making sure that things get done, you know, the, the right way. But nevertheless, done the right way, I think collaboration leads to much better outcomes. And I'll tell you from my experience in the private sector, and I think you've heard me say this, but even my limited experience in the public sector, some of the best ideas come from places that you don't always expect them to come from. And I think we all aspire to have our government be the best that it can be. Uh, and I think that's going to require more and more and more accepting the best ideas and the best collaboration that can occur across whatever seams might exist, whether it's agency to agency or, or across suppliers. It's also true, I think, that, and this is an important event for our government suppliers, there's probably no one company today that can supply 100% of the solution that an agency needs. And so it's an important place, uh, this conference, for suppliers to come together and hear from government about what the needs are and work with their, um, you know, with their friends, uh, uh, you know, to come up with the solutions that can serve government well. And so I think there's many purposes, but all of it have collaboration at the at the heart. All right, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can maybe jump into some more specifics about ELC, but more uh, as it comes to NASA and, and Tony Scott, your experiences. My guests are Renee Wynn, the NASA Chief Information Officer, Tony Scott, the CEO of the Tony Scott Group. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. This is a special edition of Ask the CIO. We're previewing, in some ways, the upcoming ELC 2018 conference that's happening in Philadelphia, October 14th through the 17th. My guests are Tony Scott, the CEO of the Tony Scott Group, and the former federal CIO, who's uh, taking a lead role in the ELC conference, and Renee Wynn, the NASA Chief Information Officer, who also is playing a, a key role in this uh, upcoming ELC conference. Renee, let me start with you uh, on the discussion around technology. You gave us a little bit of a taste, if you will, a little insights in terms of what you're looking for from ELC, some robotics as an example. But let's step back and not just at what's happening at the conference, but more broadly, what are some of those technologies that are happening today that are emerging, that are exciting from a NASA perspective that you're going, okay, I need to know more about this and I need to see how it can work within the NASA environment. I'm going to break this down to several areas. The first thing I would like to think about is our data access. NASA is just filled with data about our universe and about our own planet. And that data access can be very difficult because we have 60 years worth of information and it is housed sometimes solely in paper, uh, other times in old media format as well as the new stuff coming down from space in terms of that. And so one of the things I want to look at is who may have come up with a couple of tools on data access, especially data that is different ages, kept in different formats, but still electronically available, and as has a high return rate of what the individual may be looking at. And so that's one thing I want to take a look at, and I also want to make sure that that access is, is secure. And smart cloud use. NASA brings down more and more data, as I mentioned, from the universe, and we're very excited about being able to do that for all of us here on planet Earth. And what we've got to do is look at smart cloud. 
one of the things about going to the cloud that is very exciting is the scalability of it. However, you need to begin with designing your systems to be in the cloud. And of course, if you're designing a system that has connectivity to space, there's a, little few, there's a few more little checkpoints that we have to go through in order to make sure that the data comes down, retains its highest integrity, and then is quickly available for use by the scientists all over the globe. So a smart cloud strategy and talking to some of my colleagues about what they've been doing, and I'm happy to share with them what we've been doing as well. Then there's software-defined networks and, frankly, driving towards zero trust network. In this day and age, there's no edge to your network. My network is everywhere. In fact, it's not even on this globe. And so we need to be looking at who's doing software-defined networks, how do we build in and drive towards zero trust networks. DOD is doing some work in this area, and I know the private sector is doing that, and ACT-IACT is stepping into the middle of this one and beginning some partnerships to help educate and share those stories from the beginning and all the way to successful deployment of, of software-defined networks. We've got blockchain as an opportunity within supply chain management. That takes a number of partners to participate in it. It's not just a one-to-one, -one, it's a one-to-many opportunity. So a couple of the blockchain events are scheduled panels and discussions, and I will probably pop in there and see if I can't get a little smarter on how to make that happen here at NASA with, with others. And then finally, I am co-lead at NASA for the digital transformation. The engineering professions, which are based on true scientific and mathematical models, is being disrupted in how it's doing and how to share models and, frankly, how to even print materials that we are putting on the International Space Station. So I'm going to keep an eye on digital transformation between my colleagues in the Fed space as well as those in the private sector and how can I bring as a leader of digital transformation here at NASA and what I, what I can learn and bring back with my co-lead, Douglas Terrier, who is the uh, Chief Technology Officer for NASA and a Chief Technology Officer at NASA is on the technology that needs to be invented for us to get back to the moon and on to Mars. A couple of things I want to delve into there, Renee. One of the first things is obviously the data piece. The National Archives obviously has a very similar challenge as you do. They have probably a lot more data in some ways, you know, a lot more older data, a lot more paper data. But they also have some of the electronic data that came from the 70s or the 80s or even the 60s, very similar to NASA. So are you working with them on that data piece? They have the Electronic Records Archive Initiative. And give, give me a sense of, of that, the thinking behind, okay, are you looking for tools? Are you looking for what from that, that data access challenge? One of the things I'm looking for is searching in very unstructured different different data in that. And then as far as our work with NARA, they are aware of a project that we've been using artificial intelligence to search email to identify emails that match federal records requirements, and we have a 97% success rate. So we're working with NARA on sharing that technology with them to be thought about potentially scaled, but takes a very thoughtful approach on how we can apply this across the government. I'm a big fan of NARA. I just remind everybody the Constitution is a record. Our Declaration of Independence is a record. And if we had not been thoughtful then about what was important, I wonder where we'd be today. And the final point that I will make about an opportunity with NARA is we are now headed back to the moon and we went back to our Apollo records and we spent some time taking our tapes of the first steps of the moon by 
Neil Armstrong and the planting of the flag, and we translated those or put them in newer technology, and that is now out on the website. And so we are happy to share what we have learned, going to our old, exciting tapes from 1969 and putting those out on the web, the internet. Here it is, 2018, and a lot of work went into trying to do that to preserve the integrity. And that integrity included a little bit of scratchiness and snow in the background. I have to ask, what kind of uh, medium was used? Was it just a tape-to-tape roto-reel, or was there a specific type of technology that those that the information in the Apollo was was there? You know, I'll have to go back and ask Fair. our experts. Fair enough. Yep. I didn't but know if it. it is. Folks, I'll give the answer at Act IAC. There, How's that? A cliffhanger. We love the cliffhanger. No, <laughs> uh, the the federal records uh, work you guys are doing using AI to kind of look at email and decide what's federal records. Is that a new program? Is that something you're piloting? Is there any more information you can give me around that? Yes, we've been piloting this about a year. In in the idea of the pilot is is to really see what is the success rate. So you know, three percent. You know, I'd love to see a 97% on many tests that I took in my youth, but 97% with records means we could be missing something, and so folks are digging in to increase the percentage of success. So we've been doing it for about a year, and while we believe it to be successful because it trims down that which you need to store electronically, we still have to focus on closing the gap on that 3%. So then about a year, a little bit more learning needs to be done, and we probably need to even be thinking about opportunities to bring more people to the table. Very interesting. Something obviously we definitely want to follow as you guys uh, get more progress. Let me switch over to another one. You talked about smart cloud use, uh, something that NASA was out in front of uh, many years ago. And from talking to you and some of the other CIOs around the NASA uh, research centers, uh, you guys are still now maybe taking a, a slower move to the cloud. So maybe talk about where you see some opportunities to move, obviously, back office systems, but also uh, some of the mission critical systems to the cloud. We have a great partnership with our science mission directorate. They are the keepers of massive amounts of data for this agency. So we've had a partnership for about two years, and they have reached uh, small projects, have been very successful, and now we're taking a look at can we as an agency begin with data from a satellite straight into a cloud environment move it across wherever we pull it down from space. We have uh, several places across the the globe where we bring the information down from space in order to maintain a 24-7 operation. And so we are experimenting with them right now precisely on being able to do that. And in addition to thinking about how we bring that information down into a cloud environment, we are also thinking about how do we use the data where it is in the cloud instead of transporting it all over the place. The more you transport, the more suspicious you should be about the integrity. The second part is is the less we transport, it allows more people access to the data where it is because we are thinking about what are the basic tools that need to be put in place. And we are able to do this through our partnerships with some of the cloud providers. One of the things that I hear time and again when I talk to CIOs is that idea of creating, if you will, the data lake. It sounds like you guys are not necessarily taking that approach because, as you said, if you if you pull data from a, a satellite and it, it comes back to a data center in at Ames and, someone, and, and then there's another 
you know, satellite that gives you know data to Johnson, you don't want to have to then pull again to a main data lake. So it, doesn't, it sounds like you're, you're going to stick with that decentralized approach in many ways. It depends. This is where the experimentation is going to going to tell us uh, this, is that we are actually thinking about uh, not necessarily over to some of our different centers, but into a single place in a cloud provider or perhaps at a, a NASA location so that our data are not geographically dispersed as our centers are. So that's part of what we need to learn. Our newer missions bring down petabytes of data, and that's a pretty tall order for us to be meeting. But we're up to that challenge, and we're going to try and keep it in a single place. I don't know if we could call it a lake. I think we're looking at something as massive as an ocean. Very good. And you guys, as you said, bring in a ton of data every day and have a ton of historical data that obviously still matters. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, there's a couple other uh, initiatives and, and, and focus areas I want to touch upon with you on. My guests are Renee Wynn, the NASA Chief Information Officer, and Tony Scott, the CEO of the Tony Scott Group. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500A. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. This is a special edition of Ask the CIO. We're focusing on the Executive Leadership Conference 2018 put on by ACT-IAC that's happening October 14th through 17th in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I will be there. Tony Scott, my guest, will be there. Renee Wynn, my other guest, will be there as well. So uh, we're going to continue our conversation. And Renee, one of the things you mentioned was two other kind of priority areas, two other things you're excited about, software-defined networking and blockchain. Let's start with SDN and Zero Trust, and maybe talk a little bit about what NASA is looking at from the, both those technologies. The software-defined network is a real opportunity for the federal government. One of the reasons for that is changing out hardware is complicated and expensive, and keeping some of the hardware patched is can be manual, especially when it doesn't go very well or as expected. So as we move to a software-defined network, it allows us or it gives us the, the hope of being able to patch faster and upgrade faster as well as bring new capabilities faster because you're changing out software and not as much hardware, which hardware does require people going into those closets. We will, I don't think, ever be hardware, we'll never get to a point where there isn't any hardware, but software-defined networks really give us a chance. We have very early stages here at NASA, again, with uh, partnerships in the contractor world, and very hopeful to beginning to scale that out across the agency and even, as we talked about a little bit earlier, even thinking about where we can do this in our mission networks. And so NASA's got some experimentation in process that has proven to be very positive at this nascent stages. And so I'm very hopeful that I'm going to learn more as we go along and be able to think about strategically how do we scale this out at NASA. Tony, let me bring you let me, yep, yeah, jump in. Let me jump in a little bit on this one because uh, I'm a huge fan of, of this particular topic. And for those that may not be aware of what the promise of software-defined networks are, let me try to do just a, a, a little bit on, on what it really means. For me, what it means is the opportunity to have a vast improvement in terms of cybersecurity in our federal government. With a software-defined network, you have the opportunity to have a more fine-grained set of controls in your network environment. And 
as you've probably heard me speak a number of times, you know, the old notion of a network is everything can connect to everything else all the time that's on that network. And with a software-defined network, you have the opportunity to say, hey, this server should only connect to this database um, and nothing else should be able to get to it as just one simple example. And so that gives you the ability to fine-tune the network in ways that, you know, we just had a lot more trouble with before by defining access control lists and a lot of other more complicated uh, mechanisms. And because you can do it in software, it means you can do it whatever you need to do faster and more flexibly as well as, if you desire, uh, this more fine-grained control. And so at, at the conference at Imagination, you'll see sessions specifically devoted to that topic um, that I think will be helpful in terms of sharing what agencies' experiences have been, kind of the do's and don'ts, as well as the offerings that some of our technology uh, suppliers uh, have experience with. So, Is the real promise behind software-defined networking cybersecurity from your perspective, Tony? Well, yeah, I think there's a number of elements with software-defined networking that help in cybersecurity. So one is proactive, as we've just been talking about, the ability to more finely tune your network for for purpose uh, rather than just having a wide open, everything can connect to everything else. But in the event of a breach, software-defined networks also can allow you to uh, do network isolation in a much faster way than you could before. So let's assume that there's an infected machine. You can quickly close that machine off from the rest of the network or if a series of environments have been uh, impacted, you can corral them in a way that is useful to limiting the scope of, of the breach. So a lot of different things that this technology can bring. Uh, patching is one of the things that is also a particular benefit because what you can do if you choose to, and, and not everybody will choose to do this, but you can patch one set of machines in an isolated portion of the network uh, while you let the rest of the environment run normally. And then once the patched machines are up and running, you can flip-flop and, and uh, patch the remaining ones and observe the behavior to make sure that the patches you know, took place effectively and so on. And that may be way down in the weeds from what people wanted to know, but uh, the point, I think, is that it gives... Uh, you know, flexibility in ways that can enhance cybersecurity as well as improve operational performance. Renee, the other thing you brought up was blockchain. And I know you, this is one of those things that, that you can't go to a conference these days without someone talking about blockchain or AI. Maybe talk at a high level what blockchain and, and NASA have to do. You talked about supplier management, and I think supply chain is a great example of the potential of something like blockchain. How is NASA starting to look at blockchain? We at NASA have funded a couple of really small projects to open up what blockchain is and how it works to see how we would set it up here at NASA. 
And I want to elaborate to and build, connect this over to the software-defined network piece and how blockchain may be able to help us in the future. And that is, is that as we go with more software and the benefits of that as a software-defined network, as Tony so eloquently stated, is blockchain on the backside of that would be looking at who's doing the coding, potentially, right? Um, we've got to think about these things as software. We've got to take a look at who's doing the coding, where are they located uh, geographically, and then on the blockchain side, as you bring more software into your ecosystem, then that blockchain part could help you understand the pedigree associated with that software's life, you know, from coding and into a package that you might be bringing in to your agency. And so the teams, I've got several teams started that are taking a look at different angles of blockchain, how it works, but also at the application side for NASA. So very, very nascent stages, and um, these are very small projects with just a little bit of funding in order to start to tell the story for the for what's possible here at NASA. And, and Jason, this is Tony. I think even more broadly, there's been a lot of discussion around the potential for blockchain in federal government. Um, and it's a useful technology generally described as distributed ledger technology, meaning there are many copies of the uh, transaction that are distributed. So it makes compromising the official record really harder, and, and all of those records are also encrypted. So that's the fundamental uh, promise of the underlying uh, blockchain technology. But the applications, you know, you can just let your mind wander a little bit and say any place you want to have a indelible record that can't be altered easily uh, is a potential use for blockchain. So think about records of things. This could be personnel records. It could be IP of various kinds. Uh, as Renee, Renee mentioned, it could be the way that software is signed, you know, validating its authenticity. Um, there's a lot of different potential uses. We've seen in the public sector blockchain being used to store uh, title to uh, records like land and other uh, physical property. Obviously, one of the biggest uses of blockchain today is in the whole cryptocurrency world. Um, and we're not going to spend any time on cryptocurrency at ELC, but we are going to explore all of these uh, other potential uses for the technology and, and uh, have some examples of how governments are uh, actually taking advantage of it. So, again, a great opportunity to share and and um, and collaborate with uh, industry and, and government. Let's take a quick break on that note, and then we'll come back and we can finish up our conversation. My guests are Renee Wynn, the NASA Chief Information Officer, and Tony Scott, the CEO of the Tony Scott Group. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today, we're talking with Renee Wynn, the NASA CIO, and Tony Scott, the CEO of the Tony Scott Group and former federal CIO, about the ELC conference that's coming up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, October 14th through the 17th, sponsored by ACT-IAC. 
Now, Renee, one of the things that as you went through all the different technologies that, that NASA is looking at, whether it's uh, software-defined networking or cloud or, or data access and, and management, it all comes back to one thing, and that's really the workforce. And one of the things that ACT-IAC does, and Tony, I think, mentioned this on the front end, is if you come to ELC, you get 20 continuous learning credits, which is important for, for all federal employees and contractors. But it's more than just getting those credits. It's understanding. It's learning. So give me a sense from a NASA perspective. How, how are you ensuring that the workforce is well-trained? You have great scientists, but that's not necessarily the same as people who understand the technology that, that they have to use and that's around them. People are the most important asset to, to any organization, right? If you didn't have people, you actually wouldn't have an organization. And for me, I wouldn't have clients to serve. So from a workforce perspective, I'm going to sound a little arrogant for just a moment, and that is, is NASA in many cases does not struggle from getting amazing people to apply for any open position here at NASA. In fact, we have the other end of a spectrum challenge, and that is, is we all come and we really like to stay. The work is engaging. The work is challenging, and we've got monitors all over the place that give us regular updates on what's going on in Space Station, what's going on with our most recent launch. So our struggle is more at the back end, and that means then the front end gets to be difficult, and that is, is having enough available positions and opportunities to bring in what we call early careers, folks that have either recently left the service and entering into their second career to those folks that have just graduated from school, whether it is their undergrad or all the way up to a recent PhD. And that is our struggle is to create that opportunity for our that early careers and bring in some new folks and new opportunities for us. So that's where our struggle is right now with the workforce, although there are a few technical positions that are a bit challenging for us given that space is being disrupted. But to go back to my little arrogant remark, I would just remind folks that for six years in a row, NASA has been the number one place to work. And I really do be believe it's because of the cool things that we get to do. And then when it comes to the IT and the workforce is, is I focus on, and this is one of our challenges, is keeping them connected to the mission. In our folks that are running the network, it is easy to be so focused on running a, an amazing network to support the mission, but trying to constantly remind the workforce that this, what you are doing is ensuring that the data coming down is secure and of the highest integrity when it reaches the scientists' hands, um, and that our network is secure in terms of any launch or interconnections that we might have with our partners across the globe. Uh, so where I've been focused in terms of that is connecting the workforce with our mission on a regular basis. Uh, we try to encourage folks to attend things like Imagination 2018 so that they can get whatever learning they want to do and they can share their particular learning. Renee, I'll give you all the credit. You should be able to brag a little bit about six years in a row as the best places to work. It's a great accomplishment and a hard one to continue to get year after year, so it's okay to brag a little. Thank you. Renee, Tony, this has been just a fascinating conversation. We're just about out of time, and before I let you both go, what's the message to industry? What's the message to government when it comes to ELC 2018, Imagination Nation? Well, we've talked about a lot of it, but I wanted to mention just in the emerging technology space, we're going to talk about 
fifth generation uh, mobile networks known as 5G. We're going to talk about uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning. We're going to talk about IoT. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, virtual and augmented reality, uh, among other you know technology things, and how government can best take advantage of those things. So, it is called the Executive Leadership Conference. This is all about leaders sharing and helping develop the next generation of leaders, and uh, I think it's just going to be a really fantastic event and one of those don't-miss opportunities. And, Renee, you get the last word. I would boil it down to three things. You want to know how, from someone who has, you want to be at this conference. If you want to lead better, you want to be at this conference. And finally, if you want the answer to the Apollo tapes question, you need to be at this conference and bring several of your friends. Excellent. Very nice. And I will be at the Imagination Nation Conference, uh, ELC 2018 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, October 14th through the 17th. Renee Wynn, NASA CIO, will be there. Tony Scott, the CEO of the Tony Scott Group, also will be there. So first, let me thank my guests. Uh, Renee Wynn, NASA CIO, thank you very much. Thank you, Jason. It was great to be on with you and Tony. And Tony Scott, the CEO of the Tony Scott Group and former federal CIO. Tony, thank you as well. Always great to catch up. Good to talk to you, Jason. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Subscribe to this show on Podcast One or iTunes.